For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, my fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See with the Game website and your host for the See with the Game podcast. With this episode, Brad and I will take a look at the CU coaching staff and the CU roster. The off-season game of musical chairs is coming to a close, so we will take a look at the new and improved Carl Durrell list of assistant coaches and use some of your mailbag questions to review the status of CU's 91-man roster. The See with the Game podcast is now into its second season, and your support is much appreciated. Our network of regular listeners continues to grow, and I hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download your favorites. Please also take the time to give us a review. Your comments and suggestions are always much appreciated. The 2021 season will be upon us before you know it, and the coaches and players who will be following Ralphie out onto Folsom Field are now largely in place. So, let's take a look. Okay, we are back once again with Brad in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. How's Brad doing today? Brad is doing pretty well. We are... uh... Today we woke up to more snow, but it has cleared up. It was a beautiful Colorado day, and uh, looking forward to the weekend. Excellent. Well, we'll have this out for the weekend so people can go out and enjoy their weekend and listen to the podcast at the same time with any hope. So for this episode, I think we're going to talk about both the coach's room and the locker room. We seem to be getting a little bit closer to having some finality when it comes to what we're going to have for the 2021 season. We have the coaching staff in place and most of the players are in place. So we want to talk a little bit because we haven't, we've touched on it before, but we haven't actually gone in depth on it. Let's talk about the coaches that are new or that have been promoted uh, within the coaching staff for the 2021 season. Probably the biggest 
name or the biggest job would be that of defensive coordinator in terms of the new positions. Tyson Summers is no longer with the University of Colorado. Chris Wilson has been promoted from defensive line coach to the new position of defensive coordinator. So I guess the first question everybody had was what was wrong with Tyson Summers? Seemed like people were pretty happy with him. The players liked him and seemed pretty personable, doing a good job recruiting. Why the move? Why did Carl Durrell want to be done with Tyson Summers? Well, and the bottom line is nobody will ever tell you honestly how this happens or why it works, and particularly after a moderately, well, surprisingly successful season. You're not going to throw anybody under the bus because, bluntly, it's a small community. I think this probably was a lot more about Darrell liking Chris Wilson than not liking his predecessor. And, you know, Wilson was overqualified for what he's been doing, perhaps is slightly overqualified to even be the defensive coordinator at CU. But I think Darrell essentially thought he had found somebody who could do the job better and chose to go that way. Yeah. Well, I think you're you're right on the first part. We may never know everything that was going on behind closed doors. But I was actually kind of surprised. I went back to look at the 2018 numbers for total defense and scoring defense compared to the two years under Tyson Summers, and CU really wasn't that great. You Certainly the first four and a half games, the defense was playing better than what we've come to expect, and then, of course, the collapse in the second half of the Utah game, and we won't talk about the Texas game. And fortunately for CU stats, it doesn't show up, but the NCAA tends to count all the games. But in 2018, the year before Tyson Summers came to Boulder, CU was 52nd in total defense, 380 yards a game, 70th in scoring defense, 27.3 points a game. Then in 2019, the first full year, it was 31.8 points per game, and then this year is 31.7 points per game. So the number of points given up was almost identical in 2019-2018, and it did improve slightly in total yardage. 441 was given up 104th in the nation in 2019, the full season. And then in the half season of 2020, 76th, still giving up 420 yards a game, a full 40 yards more per contest than what was given up in 2018. So, yeah, seemed like the defense was getting better. It seemed like there was more depth anyway, more strength, more physical talent on the field, but not necessarily production. And I think certainly the Texas result and probably the second half of the Utah game convinced Carl Durrell that there needed to be better production from the defensive side of the ball. And yeah, I mean, it, it, there was – Tyson Summers was a holdover. If you're a holdover from the prior coach, and Tucker and Durrell are very different people, you have to prove you deserve the job. And our defense was fine. And then at the last couple of games, it was not even that. Yeah. So – and you think, you know, talking about Chris Wilson being overqualified, I think there was lots of chatter about Carl Durrell wanting to promote Chris Wilson because he didn't want to lose Chris Wilson. Uh, there's talk about him perhaps going to the University of Miami, perhaps going to the NFL if Eric Bieniemy got a job as a NFL head coach. And so now he is the defensive coordinator. He certainly has 
a good resume. He has been a defensive coordinator at a Power 5 school before at Mississippi State. He coached in Boulder before. He was under Gary Barnett when he was winning Big 12 North titles, if you are old enough to remember that. Some of us are getting a little <laughs> long in the tooth, but we remember when we were actually winning titles. So he knows what it's like to win in Boulder, what that looks like. And he coached for a Super Bowl championship team. He coached for the Philadelphia Eagles when they won the Super Bowl. He's been to Oklahoma, Georgia, USC. So he's certainly been around programs that have been successful and knows what that looks like. Of course, the downside is if he is successful at Colorado, that he may move on sooner rather than later. And I guess that's the risk you have to take at any with any assistant coach and even a head coach that if they're successful, that they might be looking for a bigger, better payday down the road. Well, I'm not in any way to compare CU to Alabama, but Nick Saban survives by losing good assistants. Yes. Proceeding forward. <laughs> yeah. But when you can hire former NFL head coaches as, you know, assistants as backups. So yeah, he's, he's not, not a hurting pup, but, and I noticed, uh, News today, Oregon raided Cal again for another assistant coach. So Buff fans were concerned about the CU coaching staff not being filled out. We're sitting here now, you know, towards the end of February, and now Cal is looking for another assistant coach because Oregon filled their position by taking away another Cal coach after taking away their defensive coordinator. The other three assistant coaches, not going to give them as much Airtime here, but Brett Maxey has gone from safeties coach to the title of defensive game coordinator. Doesn't seem like to be a bad move. We were happy with Brett Maxey or not so much. Any thoughts on the promotion of Brett Maxey? Well, uh, I think don't think anybody believed that our passing game defense was set or could was beyond improvement. So, you know, some change was probably necessary there. You know, again, what we're seeing here is that Darrell likes an experienced bunch of people around him, people with NFL experience, if they can find that. Yeah. And, you know, he's building a staff that thinks like him. And so this is hardly surprising. And certainly this team needs improvement in that area. So it gives you hope that somebody with this level of experience can come in and take a secondary that is greener than new planted alfalfa and <laughs> give them a little bit more seasoning. Yes. And to that end, you know, he did play in that, Brett Max, he did play in the NFL for 13 years, coached, like you say, in the NFL. And he has the ties to that IMG uh, school in Bradenton. He was a coach there. But again, you're right. You know, passing defense was 71st in the nation last year, which is something of a step up for what we've been suffering through over the years in the last decade or so, but certainly not going to win you a Pac-12 conference if you're 71st in the nation in pass defense. So hopefully both in the recruiting end and in the defensive locker room, he can certainly go to the safeties and cornerbacks and say, well, I played in the league for 13 years. So when I tell you, you need to do this in order to play in the league, he's going to have some credibility. The other two, Mark Smith, the new inside linebackers coach, he's replacing Tyson Summers. Tyson Summers was defensive coordinator, and his 
part-time job was that of inside linebackers coach. Not too much going on there, except for the fact that this guy, apparently Court, is good at recruiting Texas. I don't know if you would want to have a position coach just to have him be an excellent recruiter, but his biggest calling card would be that he can recruit Texas, particularly the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Well, and that's, you know, one of the concerns about hiring a bunch of NFL coaches is that this college recruiting is the biggest difference. It's not the guys, it's not just the coaching. It's the getting the guys here. So you have to balance your staff. You have to have the guys who can bring them in, and then you have the guys who can have the guys who can make them better. And Durrell seems to be trying to figure out what that balance is. Yeah. You know, this Mark Smith, and he was, you know, <laughs> trying to find somebody. He, last year, he was supposed to be the defensive coordinator for Long Island University. So not exactly high profile. And, of course, Long Island University didn't play last year, so he didn't get the chance to be their defensive coordinator. But before that, he was defensive backs coach and recruiting coordinator what was it? Arkansas, I believe it was. Yeah. So, and had a lot of success recruiting Texas. And he was like the, one of the president of the high school association for Texas coaches. So he's, he's got connections, especially like you say, in the Dallas Fort Worth area, he actually coached high school in that area. So yes, we do need a, a very good inside linebackers coach because well, unless Nate Landman comes back 110%, that is an area of weakness in the roster. But hopefully, like you say, he can more than make up for any deficiencies in not being ever coached this position before um, by bringing in a lot of bodies that will help uh, the Buffs win games. Well, and he was there at SMU as they continued to write, rebuild. Um, so he at least knows what starting from scratch looks like. Yes, yes. The old death penalty school. Um, again, you have to be old to remember that. And the last one, probably clearly a step back in terms of resume. Tyler Embry left to coach at the NFL level, replaced by Brian Cook. Um, he does have a lot of experience over 20 years coaching, mostly in the Georgia Tech realm. He's an alum and a coach there. Never coached tight ends. Now, tight ends is probably the least important singular position coach. I would say it's usually an introductory kind of a position for assistant coaches. But that being said, Colorado has seven scholarship tight ends. And one of these days, uh, we've been saying this for over a decade, we had John Embry who played tight end, didn't get the tight ends. Mike McIntyre, who coached uh, San Jose State tight end to the NFL, came in, didn't do anything with the tight ends. We've, we've been waiting a long time for tight ends to be relevant at the University of Colorado, and maybe this is the guy, maybe this is the year. There's enough bodies, certainly, in that roster that are tight ends that maybe this guy can coach them up and we'll be surprised. Well, it would certainly be nice, and, and he feels like not just a tight ends coach, but another good offensive guy in the room. That's it. Like the old uh, makes a good 10th man in practice, you know, <laughs> the Curtis Rayford. Um, I, I sh I'll have to tell the story now that I mentioned it. This goes back to the early 80s, the Tom Apke years at CU. 
there's a player by the name of Curtis Rayford. And literally in the program at the CU for home games, there's little blurbs that they had about what the coach said about the players. And what he said about Curtis Rayford was he makes a good 10th man in practice. So if nothing else, we've got a, a coach that can be the good 10th man in practice. The other hire, which is on the other spectrum, probably considered by most Buff fans to be a home run hire, not assistant coach, but the strength and conditioning coach. There was some hand-wringing when Drew Wilson was let go because everyone, including head coach Carl Durrell, had nothing but nice things to say about Drew Wilson. The strength and conditioning coach is probably the coach that gets to see the players, not probably, is the coach that gets to see the players most. And in a COVID year, he definitely filled that role. And the fact that CU didn't have a lot of attrition on the roster and the players seemed to like everything that Drew Wilson was doing in terms of their conditioning when they couldn't be together as a team came as a surprise. So I guess let's, you know, talk about that. It was kind of a surprise that Drew Wilson was let go. Fair enough. Fair statement. Oh, unquestionably, you know, strength and conditioning coach has over the last 10 years been acknowledged as the most important other position because of the time that coach spends with, the players in the off season and strength and conditioning coaches have been both strengths of programs and in some other programs we're looking at you Iowa have proven to be somewhat problematic um and so to fire somebody who seemed to be doing the job was fairly unusual until it became apparently became clear that there was a free agent out there that was simply better at the position and that would be one Shannon Turley his bio is just this side of, oh, my God, I mean, his 12 years at Stanford. Of course, Stanford, during that period of time, won three Pac-12 titles, went to six New Year's Six games. He was twice named the National Strength Coach of the Year. And he did leave Stanford in 2019 under undisclosed circumstances, I guess is one way we could put it. And... Carl Durrell said, we've done our due diligence, and you'd have to believe, again, what you're talking about with the strength and conditioning coach at Iowa, who was hired by Urban Meyer for the Jacksonville Jaguars, created a firestorm. He left a few days later. That firestorm did not hit Boulder, that there was no great revelations or there's no great outrage that Shannon Turley was something of a pariah that would not fit in with the University of Colorado. Nowadays, that anything remains undisclosed is shocking. You know, internal investigations become external investigations on day two. Um, (laughs) You know, if Turley working with a Stanford group, widely considered to be probably a little bit more intelligent and perhaps with that a little bit more privileged, Whatever it was that got him fired, the fact that that never came out is both interesting, but probably also an indication that it has something to do with more with Stanford standards than with something that uh, is such that it would be any kind of impact here at CU. Yeah, it could have been. It may have been some personal issues. I mean, everything at this point is speculation. What is not speculation is that this guy does what he's hired to do and does it really, really well. Yes. I mean, and, you know, just looking at what Stanford was, 
came on with Jim Harbaugh when Harbaugh was at Stanford, started winning, continued with Shaw, and then left in 2019. In the last two years, last couple of years, Stanford has not been Stanford. So you can look at that that rise and fall. Went up when he was there, went back down when he wasn't there. Now, obviously, there's other factors involved, but it seems pretty clear. I, I would think if he can win over the locker room, of course, he's got to get the players to buy in, you know, and they're obviously going to be missing Drew Wilson and, you know, that he was a popular coach. But if he can get them to buy into his system, good things could happen for the University of Colorado with Shannon Turley working behind the scenes and strength and conditioning. Yeah, I mean, he he is the he is really the shining light in this offseason hires. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Now, we did have some mailbag questions, mostly roster-related, um, which will make sense this time of year because that's what we're dealing with in February as we're waiting for March and the beginning of spring practices. The first question came from Phil H., Twice as many CU players have left the Buffs than have joined the team. Is CU losing the transfer portal battle? Now, just for the numbers, go over this. Most of the anybody that's listening to a CU podcast in February knows all these names, but I'll go over them anyway real quick. The number of players that have left, we're looking at eight, nine. Tyler Lytle, quarterback, went on to play. He's going to play for UMass. Jaron Mangum, running back following the Daryl Scott path to freedom, playing for South Florida. Katie Nixon, and a big surprise to everyone, signed on with USC. Jason Harris went home to Arizona, played with his brother for the Wildcats. Darian Rakestraw ended up at Tulane, defensive back. Two more defensive backs, KJ Torrio and William Anglin, who's been off the team forever. Um, Haven't found a home, neither has linebacker Akil Jones. So those are the CU players that have left, the ones that have come in, J.T. Shrout, the quarterback from Tennessee, Jack Lamb, linebacker Notre Dame, and Robert Barnes, linebacker slash safety slash starbacker from Oklahoma. So by the numbers, CU is losing the transfer portal battle. A lot more players have left than have signed on. Would you agree that on balance, CU is worse off than we should be. So you're asking me if getting players from Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and Tennessee is somehow worse than losing players to UMass and Southern Florida and guys that can't catch on elsewhere, quality matters. Yes. In the end, with the exception of Katie Nixon, who simply had fallen behind more talented players. None of the guys you've mentioned played in the CU system. Every one of them has been replaced or is trailing behind somebody who is demonstrably better. Whereas the guys we have coming in have a chance to play. Now, you know, we don't know where Shroud's going to fit in the, in the quarterback list, but Lamb certainly can. And so, no, it's, you have to look at who, not how many. Yeah. Uh, the, judging the numbers is just not how you do this. Yeah, and if you're looking at, if we had these, Lamb and Barnes are both four-star recruits. If we'd gotten these guys as recruits, Buff fans would be falling all over themselves in excitement about these guys. 
And yes, you know, Lamb had some injuries in 2019, played mostly special teams last year. Barnes had some injuries. But these guys are going to be playing behind guys that are going to be playing in the NFL. You know, it is not that they just couldn't compete and couldn't make it on their squads. Uh, these are college football playoff teams that have tend to have four- and five-star players up and down the roster. So if we can borrow a couple of four-star players, they can be high-impact players for the Buffs, whereas, like you say, the ones that have left us, yes, I mean, if, if I had my druthers, I'd like to have Darian Rakestraw for depth. I would like to have Akil Jones for depth because those are two places where Colorado right now is kind of weak in the roster, but not necessarily for them to be starters. But with injuries that we've had, maybe nice insurance policies. But since CU is already over the limit in scholarships, it might have been a discussion. And again, we aren't privy to those discussions that they're having with the players that it might have been a discussion after the season where the coaches sat down and say, well, it might be better for you to go and seek out alternative situations rather than go through spring ball and learn that you're not going to be playing in the fall. So I don't think that CU is losing the transfer portal battle either. I don't, again, it's not the, the number that are leaving. It's the, the quality of the players. And I think on whole, most Buff fans are going to be willing to take that trade, especially when we're picking up two very good defensive players, and we're also picking up a quarterback who, at a minimum, can compete in spring practices. Whether or not he's going to make the starting position in the fall, at least he's another quarterback, one that has played in SEC games, has started an SEC game for Tennessee. Nice to have that experience in the quarterback room, which is otherwise pretty devoid of experience. Well, that kind of leads us to the next question, which came from C.A. Davis. And again, anyone that wants to participate in this, just send me an email anytime. See you at the game at gmail.com. If you've got any questions, love to have your thoughts, love to have your participation. C.A. said at last count, C is at 91 scholarship players and will be allowed a total of 88 this fall. Where do you see further attrition in the roster? Will this prevent CU from attempting to sign any more players from the transfer portal? Just briefly, I'll let you answer the question that those numbers come. There are 91 scholarship players currently on the roster. With the NCAA COVID rules, you're allowed to keep seniors. CU has three seniors. And, of course, those are going to be our quarterback and you know, our what you know, Nate Landman, Carrie or Corey Kutch, sorry, can't say that, you know, and then Sam Neuer. Those are the three senior seniors. Maybe we call that's what that's why we start calling them senior seniors instead of our junior seniors who are all technically juniors but are actually seniors in the classroom. Our senior seniors, that means those three players don't count against the eighty five scholarship limit. So Colorado can have 88 players on scholarship this fall. Currently, there's 91 on the roster. So two-part question, you know, one, where's the other attrition going to come from? And two, does that mean that we are bound not to sign any more transfers? Well, it's never worked that way. I mean, 
let's be as cold-blooded as we can about that. Um, numbers 80 through 88 on scholarship. Always know that they are numbers 80 through 88 on scholarship. And sadly, if someone better comes in, there's almost always a way to find a scholarship for them. Um, I think the transfer portal is slowing down. I don't believe that probably some former five-star is going to show up out of nowhere and choose CU. But if he does, um, there are positions where there are a number of players who might get converted to walk-ons or different situations. So, and again, this is not that unusual to have more players than scholarships. Um, That's something that teams have dealt with for years. Everything else about this is unusual, including, you know, who's a senior and how are we going to do this and that kind of thing. And, um, the NCAA has given some changes, but not a lot of changes. So who knows? Um, but yeah, I think if somebody shows up that's as, you know, as good as number 78, then number 88 probably has some other thing to do. Yeah. And just looking at the roster, there aren't too many places on the defense where there's too much depth. Um, so it's probably going to be it's speculation again on my part, but if you're looking at the roster where you have some place that you have some perhaps talented players that are just getting lost in the mix, you're again probably looking at the wide receiver room because CU is blessed with a number of quality receivers, and you can't throw three footballs at the same time. You're only going to have one football for the offense at any given moment. Uh, running back, as much as we would wring our hands, there's a lot of talent at the running back position. Um, and I mentioned before, you know, we've got seven scholarship tight ends, and that's not to mention the two well, there's actually three walk-ons that tied in. You know, C.J. Slamansky, Nick Fisher played a lot. Uh, so did Nico Magri. So he got four walk-on walk-ons that tied in. And then Matt Lynch is going to be playing as a senior. So seven scholarship tight ends and four walk-ons that have actually can play or have played. Unless there's something dynamic going on in the Colorado offense this fall to involve a lot of tight end play, you might think that there might be one or two bodies in that position that might be doing, you know, better off playing somewhere else. So no, we don't want to lose anybody. These are scholarship athletes. We love them all. We're buff fans. We love our team. We love our players. But if the question is, where's the attrition going to come from? You might look more on the offensive side on the ball of the ball than the defensive side of the ball. I think that'd just be my, speculation and there's there's at least three i it's interesting it'd be that'd be a good dave platty type research question you know how many players on average are lost in the spring you know just from injury uh, i don't want to play anymore i'm going to be third string i want to transfer to a lower division school used to be you'd have to sit out for a year so they transferred to a lower division so they could play right away now they can transfer to another Power 5 or G5 school and play right away. So the incentive to try something different is there 
right from the start. You didn't have to sit out a year. So even in a normal year, we're going to lose more than three players. And this year where there's lots of more mobility available to players, you would think that there'd be more than three more players leaving the team anyway. So, yeah, if there is a four-star defensive back from the SEC that's lost in the the roster that wants to find a new home and wants to play right away, yeah, I'm with you. I think the coaches will say, yeah, we can find room for you on our team. Um, so there will be some attrition. It's natural. It happens every year, even in a normal year. And as we've been saying repeatedly, you know, it's this is not a normal year. And you also have to look at the fact one other normal, unnormal thing about this, we have 23 juniors on the roster. Now, that's, again, the juniors that would be seniors, you know, so they're the ones that would be moving on anyway after this season, and sometimes they just say, I've got my degree now. Um, I'm not going to be playing in the NFL. My knee hurts. I am going to, you know, take my marketing internship and, you know, get on with my life you know, type of thing. So, yeah, there's not going to be trouble getting to 85. It's just a question of whether or not any more four-star linebacker safeties, defensive linemen, you know, fall into CU's lap, which would be nice. But like you say, you can't just at this time of the year, can't depend on it. Um, then there's the next question. From Breckenridge Buff, happy skiing. Uh, it sounds as if you are content with CU's recruiting class of 2021 being ranked 63rd in the nation, and that's the rivals ranking. What will CU's class of 2022 need to be ranked to keep the Buffs competitive? Uh, I think both you and I in previous podcasts, we talked about that we are giving this class a pass and not being too obsessed or upset with the fact that Colorado is either ninth or 10th in the rankings in the Pac-12 and apparently down to 63rd in the national rankings. Um, have you changed your mind? Are you now perturbed about the class of 2021 being ranked 63rd in the country and 10th in the Pac-12, or are you still satisfied? Tell Breckenridge Buff what he needs to know. Well, well, first of all, what he needs to know is the concept that Stuart Whitehair is ever going to be content with a recruiting, a recruiting class is foreign to all experience over the last <laughs> 35 years. <laughs> so content is perhaps not the word we're going to accept. We are satisfied in the context, um, given everything else, um, the new coach, the strange season, all the changes went in. We were satisfied that doing much better would have been extraordinarily hard. That said, you don't win in the Pac-12 by ranking your recruiting classes in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, so no, I would not be content if next year was that low, although uh, you know, it's going to be a small class again. So well, maybe it's going to be a small class. Um, you just have to take into account the numbers. So no, we have to get better. There's no doubt that we have to get better. Um, we are still at the point where we have to take three-star athletes and coach them into four-star performances. 
I'd love to have four and five star athletes and coach them into pros. Um, but I am confident that Carl Durrell understands that and has at least some hopeful plan to get there. Now every coach has a plan until they hit the recruiting trail. Um, but if we're not in the, you, know, you can take those rankings with some grains of salt, but if we're not in the, in the thirties with a chance to do better, depending on if we land this guy or that kid, then yeah, over long term there is no doubt that that harms you. So am I content? No. Do I have hope? Unquestionably. <laughs> and I don't know if there's ever going to be a time with this new normal um, with the transfer portal being more than just a two or three guy have to sit out a year, you know, hope that they can work into something down the road where it's now going to become, you can transfer at least once without having to sit out. How do you grade the class of 2021? If you include two four-star players, if you include Jack Lamb and Robert Barnes, and then you throw in a three-star quarterback who's already played at the SEC level, where does that put your recruiting class? Um, and I don't know if Rivals or 24-7 Sports or ESPN or anybody else is going to be able to come up with some sort of a retroactive matrix where you say, okay, well, yeah, the class had this many freshmen coming in, but it also had this many transfers. And... How does that affect your perception? Because as far as Colorado is concerned, those three players, Shrout, Lamb, and Barnes, are you know, part of the recruiting class of 2021. These guys are coming in to play in 2021, and they're new to the Buff Nation. So you might have potentially three starters that have played at Power 5 schools coming in to start on your team. Well, is that better than a three-and-a-half-star freshman that is 20 pounds lower in weight than you want him to be when he's actually on the field. So yeah, when you look at Mel Tucker and uh, I had to say that name again, I had to look at, you know, Mel Tucker is putting us in the thirties and then, then Carl Rowe comes in and we're in the sixties. We're not going to be happy with that, but I'm afraid Breckenridge buff, we're going to be unhappy again next December or this upcoming December, because, you know, as Brad mentioned, we're probably going to have a small class that theoretically, other than the three senior seniors, Landman, Kutch, and Neuer, all 85, whatever the 85 end up being, could all come back next year. The entire roster could come back for 2022, and you'd have zero recruits for the class of 2022. Now, that's not going to work out that way. There are going to be those, you know, some of those 23 juniors that are now seniors in the classroom that are going to move on. So there are going to be recruits from the class, but I don't know how the class, I'd hate to be a parent of a senior right now coming into the class of 2022, trying to get my kid a scholarship because there's just not going to be a lot of open scholarships anywhere. So it might be a smaller class, but I think there's going to be a lot of small classes out there. So there might be more three and a half slash four stars out there for CU to get um, because other bigger schools just don't have the room on their roster. So we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed and know 
We're not super happy about being 63rd in the nation, but I still would like to give this class a pass. And if you throw in a couple of four-star defensive players, nominally pushes back into the 50s, makes us look a little bit you know, more acceptable going forward. Well, and, and remember, there's nobody out there with an incentive to grade how a school did in their new players. Rivals, that's not what they do. That's not how they make their money. The recruiting class evaluators, the recruit evaluators, make their money by talking about high school kids. Um, so there is no ranking out there now. Maybe someday somebody will start sitting down at the end of the transfer portal and making those things, but nobody's really doing that. There's no nationwide ranking of how much better you got in over the offseason. And there's no money to be done getting there. So that's you know that's reality. We have to judge based on what we see and how the team looks coming out of spring practice and then how the team plays. You know. Now I do hope that the guys who ranked Michigan State's recruiting classes ninth in the Big Ten were right. But that's just bad. <laughs> yeah. Don't mind them, you know. Sliding off, but again, you know they'll be ninth or tenth in the in the Big Ten and still rank thirty fifth in the country. So, you know, what are you going to do? That's, you know, and, and we we've, we've talked about it here, and most fans know about that. You know, it's all about the clicks, and you know that's how Nebraska can get a commitment from, you know, an unknown lineman in Iowa, and all of a sudden becomes a four star because he signed on to Nebraska. Nebraska's classes are always good, and Scott Frost has run the program into the ground. So it's not all about the the stars. Um, I've always said I look at the recruiting offers, and again, that's not a perfect science either, but how many Power 5 offers does that recruit have gives you, I think, a better indication of what the other schools think of him as opposed to what rivals wants to rate him so they can get more clicks. Um, well, let's finish it off with a general overview kind of uh, question before we start thinking about doing our unit-by-unit unit previews for spring practices. Yay for that. Let's hope that all comes to the fore. Uh, RJ3 is back, and as we approach the one-year anniversary of the hiring of Carl Durrell, how would you rate the first 12 months of the new coaching staff? So, philosophy, you know, uh, for those that aren't aware, um, there are some people out there in the world that actually have degrees in philosophy, and one of them is Bradford Lewis Geiger, and so we're going to let him philosophize about the first year anniversary of the hiring of Carl Durrell. The stage is yours. Well, if we go back a year, and, you know, Carl Durrell went from not mentioned in the coaching search to outsider in the coaching search to we are now introducing Carl Durrell as the head coach. Um, we had a lot of questions. We had a lot of legitimate questions. Um, there was reason to be concerned because we all liked that other guy. And he all said all the right things. And Carl Durrell is a big change. But you can't argue with 
the fact that he took a roster that legitimately all of us had concerns about, particularly at the quarterback position, at the running back position, um, and wrung success out of it. You can't argue with the fact that there seems to be a confidence to this Buff team, and it wasn't quite as obvious in the bowl game, although if you look at that first half, it was a team that was outclassed but not outplayed. Um, These guys, these kids seem to believe they can do this stuff. They seem to believe that they have the talent, that they have the will, that they have the leadership to get better and to play with anybody. Um, that is number one or two in coaching college football, depending on where you rank recruiting. Um, <laughs> and the bottom line is who's going to complain legitimately about Durrell's progress in that area. Mel Tucker raw rod him up. Carl Durrell teaches him how to win. Now, we don't know that that will continue, but honestly, for a first year, for a long time, we have not seen that kind of confidence. And now we look at, and we look at the coaching roster, is there anybody in there with maybe one or two exceptions that hasn't proven that they know what the heck they're doing at the, big, at the Power 5 level and higher? Um, you've got to believe that an X's and O's on how to play the position, on when the defensive back should turn from backpedaling to running with the receiver, that every single guy on that coaching staff knows the right answer to those questions. So if we can continue to get higher talent players, there is no reason to believe that we will not get the most out of the players who show up here. And there was no reason to believe that when you sit down and start making a game plan to play against other teams, that our guys know what they're doing. So this is not just a fan's obsessive um, looking on the bright side. This is looking at a resume of coaches who just have proven they know what the heck they're doing. That's handy to have, and it ain't something we've always seen. Yeah. Well, like you say, not even going back 12 months, but even going back six months, where we weren't sure what we were getting with Carl Durrell because they hadn't even had a practice yet, much less been on the field or had a game. And we were looking at Tyler Lytle handing off to Alex Fontenot and throwing to Katie Nixon. That was the game plan going into the season. And none of that played out. And he took a quarterback that was a safety and was even off the team and heading off to another school and turned him into a four and two quarterback. You know, who knows if he can actually get one of these quarterbacks to play at a real power five championship level where this coaching staff can take this team. Uh, yeah, to go four and two, I'll always harken back to the daily camera uh, editorial or commentary 
right before the season started, we were looking at a seven-game season saying, you know, Buff fans realistically have to be looking at a better chance of going 0-7 than 4-3. and And it was hard to argue at that time with everything that the players had been through with the loss of their coach in February, not knowing who the quarterback was going to be, losing a four-year starter after giving a four-year starter, um, having your running back injured, you know, and then I think if Brady Russell hadn't gotten hurt and, and Nate Landman hadn't gotten hurt, we might not have been four and two. We might have even been better than that. Um, cause those are two of the, the vocal leaders on the field, which is again, it's hard with Carl Durrell because he's not that raw, raw guy. He's the intellectual cerebral guy. And no, he doesn't do a, as good of a job of selling his passion or selling his plan or selling his beliefs as Mel Tucker did. You know, but Mel Tucker was good at selling Mel Tucker. Um, and we all went along for the ride because he was getting us excited about playing, um, excited about the future. And we had... Not so much from Carl Durrell. He kind of plays it close to the vest, um, perhaps because his father was a Navy guy and you don't talk, you know, you don't disclose things. You just do your job, kind of loose lips, sink ships kind of thing, you know. So um, maybe that's his upbringing. Maybe that's his philosophy of life. But, yeah, you don't, you know, want to listen to a Carl Durrell press conference and start running through walls to play for this guy. But once you get to know his philosophy, once you see him interact with the players and what production he's gotten out of those players, I think you have to be pretty excited. He's willing to take a defensive coordinator that we all thought was doing a pretty good job and replace him and take a strength and conditioning coach that we thought was doing a pretty good job and replace him, you know, saying, no, four and two is not good enough. I mean, for us, it's like, oh, my God, a winning season. Yay. And I'm not going to diminish that one bit. I love having winning seasons. But that's not good enough, you know, for Carl Durrell. He's not saying, yeah, we can be a mediocre team and start having, you know, trips to the Sun Bowl and to the – Las Vegas Bowl and, you know, those types of things that we get when you're a 6-16, six and 16, his, his aim is higher. And can he get Colorado to that point? I don't know. But based upon results, and at the end of the day, whether there's classes, the recruiting class is 63rd, um, or he excites fan bases at, you know, donor meetings, the bottom line is W's and L's, and he produced a winning season, which is a rarity for the University of Colorado. So he's bought himself a lot of credibility in my book. And what was, the question was, as you approach the anniversary, how would you rate the first 12 months? I think four and two is how I'd rate that. And that's better than five and seven. Um, so... That's, I guess we're going to leave it at that. I'll let you have the uh, last word, as always. Any words of wisdom before we 
close out this particular episode? Well, I think there is a frustration to having a team in flux. It would be nice to be certain, but there's an excitement too. We don't know what this team will look like coming out of spring practice. Um, we don't even know who the starting quarterback is going to be. And there's times in the past when that have been concerning. Nowadays, honestly, isn't it kind of fun? <laughs> well, and with that, our next two episodes um, leading up, they haven't exactly said exact dates, but he says late March. We had to start spring practice March through April. So we're going to do the next two episodes. We're going to do offense, and then we're going to do defense and special teams. So we'll have two episodes leading up to the start of spring practices. And I look forward to your roster thoughts. Well, it should be a fascinating spring. And at least we get one. Fingers crossed. Thanks, as always, for being a part of the See With The Game family. As noted, the next two podcasts, coming over the next few weeks, will be devoted to a unit-by-unit preview of the CU roster as we look forward to the opening of spring practices in late March. If you have questions you'd like to have Brad and I discuss at a future podcast, please drop me a note at cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you have comments or suggestions as to improving the podcast or the website, I would very much like to hear those as well. Spring practices, the first under Carl Durrell, are almost upon us. The battle for the starting quarterback position will garner most of the headlines, especially with Sam Neuer out for the spring after undergoing shoulder surgery. But there will be many other positions which will be up for grabs as well. So I hope you will visit the See You at the Game website for daily updates and listen to the upcoming podcasts for our take on See You Football 2021. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.